The reading this morning is from 2 Timothy 2, 8 to 13. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. One of my favorite movies is Braveheart, which I just found out last year turned 25 years old. Now, I'm not recommending it to anyone for family viewing because of the violence and the graphic situations, but what appeals to me about the movie is the powerful, powerful parable of leadership. You know, William Wallace was a 13th century Scottish warrior who inspired the Scots in the first war of Scottish independence against King Edward I of England. And throughout the movie, we hear William Wallace's message and his mission is freedom. Freedom for the Scots. And at the end of the movie, captured, publicly tortured, and about to be executed, instead of crying out for mercy like the magistrate hoped he would, with his final breath, he yells out, Freedom! The English had sought to silence that cry and to stop that drive for Scottish independence. They they sought to stop this movement for freedom by locking up and then executing William Wallace. But they were wholly unsuccessful. Because the final scene of the movie pictures Robert the Bruce, a man who was inspired by William Wallace. Now he's Scotland's king. And he's arrayed with the Scottish army behind him on the fields of Bannockburn before a ceremonial line of English troops. And he's there to formally accept the English blessing upon his reign. However, instead of peacefully continuing to to accept Scotland's subjugation to England, Robert turns to the army and in his final line in the movie says, You've bled with Wallace. Now bleed with me. And we see the final scene of the movie as the Scottish army charges onto the battlefield against the surprised English army. And we hear, an, we hear a, a statement over that final scene. It says, In the year of our Lord, 1314, patriots of Scotland, starving and outnumbered, charged the fields of Bannockburn. They fought like warrior poets. They fought like Scotsmen. And they won their freedom. You might chain the messenger, but the message remains unchained. You might even kill the messenger. But the message continued unstopped. And friends, that is the message of this passage that Connie just read to us from 2 Timothy. Paul is the messenger, and he is currently chained. He is currently facing execution. Why? Because they want to silence him. They want to silence the gospel cry and to stop the gospel spread. So they've chained up the messenger in a hope of silencing him. But Paul defiantly says, I might be chained, but the gospel is unchained because the message is unstoppable. 
As Connie read for us in verses 8 and 9, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, is preached in my gospel, for which I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not bound, church. The world can do whatever they might want to silence it, stop it, cancel it, or chain it. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, propelled by the Spirit of Christ, is utterly and absolutely unstoppable. In fact, the last time that they tried to chain up Paul and silence him and to stop the gospel, do you remember how that turned out? Not so good for them. You see, the last time he was imprisoned, we read in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. You see, they had locked him up previously to hope to arrest the gospel, but instead it advanced the gospel. They meant to prevent the gospel, but it propelled the gospel. They meant to stop the gospel, but instead it allowed the spread of the gospel because, church, there is no chaining the good news of Jesus Christ. His messengers might be chained, they might be ostracized, they might be tortured, but the gospel message itself is utterly unstoppable. You cannot stop the juggernaut of the gospel. This is the message of the entire book of Acts. You know, the time period during which Paul wrote his letter to the Philippians, where he said, you know, the gospel's unchained, when he said it served to advance the gospel, that's described in the final two verses of the book of Acts. Paul was a prisoner at the end of Acts, and in Acts 28, verses 30 and 31, it says, he lived there in his house for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness and without hindrance. With boldness and without hindrance. The very last word in the book of Acts is the Greek word akalutos, which means unhindered. And I would argue that that word, akalutos, is actually the theme of the entire book of Acts. Unbound, unchained, unhindered, because we see the gospel meet opposition after opposition after opposition after opposition in Acts. And what happens? It doesn't stop. Because you can chain the messenger, but you cannot chain the gospel. It is unhindered. It is unstopped. Unhindered is the message of the book of Acts. It's the message of Paul's ministry. The gospel is unstoppable. Is it unopposed? No, of course it's opposed. The ministry of Paul is proof that it's opposed. Were the gospel messengers bound? Of course they were. Bound, tortured, threatened, maligned, and marginalized. But friends, no matter how it's imposed, opposed, no matter how the bearers are bound, the gospel is unbound. This is what Martin Luther wrote in A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He said, the body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Paul's bound in suffering and he says, Timothy, my body... Your body, our bodies, they may kill. But God's truth abideth still because His gospel is unstoppable and His kingdom is forever. So Timothy, don't lie down, back down, or keep your head down because the gospel's our crown. So wear it proudly, suffer unflinchingly, proclaim it boldly because it is unstoppable. 
and Church of Jesus Christ. If the gospel is so unstoppable, just as unstoppable today as it was then, what stops us? What stops you? What stops me? Hear this emboldening battle cry. Remember the unstoppable gospel. And what is the gospel? Well, Paul summarizes it in verse 8. In verse 8 he says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, is preached in my gospel. Now, as Jacob Napa and I were choosing the songs for this Sunday, we were discussing just how strange Paul's summary is. This is a strange summary of the gospel. Not because of what it says. What's strange is what it doesn't say. Because I feel like if I asked any one of you, hey, summarize for me the gospel, what would you include? Think about that. If I said, summarize for me the gospel, what would you include in your summary? And I wager that every single one of you here would include mention of the cross. And that's the one thing that Paul doesn't mention here. He doesn't mention Jesus' death on the cross for our sins. Now, Obviously, that's not because the cross is not important, because Paul spends plenty of time throughout his other letters talking about the importance of the cross. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, he claimed to know nothing but the cross. He said, For I declared to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So the exclusion of the cross here is not because the cross is not essential, because it is. In Paul's summary, it's clearly assumed, but he emphasizes two things in his summary. And why these two things? He emphasizes Jesus Christ risen and the offspring of David. Risen from the dead and the offspring of David. So so why those two emphases in this statement of the gospel? Let's think about it. That first one, Jesus risen from the dead. Friends, Paul's facing death. He's facing death for the sake of the gospel, and he does so boldly and unflinchingly. And he says, hey, Timothy, they're going to kill me for the gospel. Here's the gospel. They're going to kill you too. Paul says, Timothy, take up the gospel baton that I'm going to hand to you as it falls from my hand when they kill me. And you're going to risk your life for it. You're going to face death for the gospel. And Timothy, I can face death for the gospel. You can face death for the gospel. Church, we can face death for the gospel because of the promise of life in the gospel. Remember how Paul introduced himself at the beginning of this letter. Chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. The promise of life. That's in Christ Jesus. Christ can promise us life, church, because He's risen. He conquered death. If Christ has conquered death, what do we have to fear? Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Paul reminds Timothy, yes, I'm suffering, and yes, I'm going to die, and you likely are going to suffer, and you'll probably die too, but proclaim the gospel boldly because death has been defeated. So what can they do to you? Death has been defeated, Timothy. 
There's life in the Gospel. Jesus is risen. Christ is conquered. This is the good news. This is the Gospel. So hold on to and hold forth the unstoppable Gospel, even if it costs you your life. Because there is a promise of life in the Gospel in Jesus Christ. Friends, this is the good news. There's a promise of life in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Not life like the world offers, but real life, abundant life, eternal life. Timothy, remember, church, remember the promise of life that's offered to us by the risen Jesus Christ. And that promise is worth giving your life for, that you might have the life that is in the gospel, which is truly life. And secondly, Paul says, my gospel is Jesus Christ, the offspring of David. Now, the Lord had made a covenant with King David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13. He, he said to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now the Lord promised David an heir, an offspring, whose kingdom and whose throne would be established forever. And this promise was repeated, most famously repeated in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called... You all want to sing it, don't you? Handel's Messiah. Wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. And of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord shall do this. Friends, the good news the good news is that Jesus Christ is the promised offspring of David. In his reign, there will be no end. Now, we know that the reign of every other earthly kingdom is going to come to an end because the reign of every other earthly king is going to come to an end because they're going to die. No human king, and thus no human kingdom, is eternal. But Jesus is risen from the dead. He's not going to die again. And if He's risen from the dead, if He's conquered death, then His kingdom, which God said He's going to establish, is never going to end. His reign is not going to end. Friends, the Gospel is that Jesus is King. He's the promised offspring of David. He's the King of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. And of His reign and of His kingdom, there's no end. Paul languishes in prison. He is bound by a human king for defying a human kingdom. And Paul knows that that king and that kingdom, they're only temporary. But Christ's kingdom, who he serves, is eternal. So Paul's chosen his allegiance. And church, where's our allegiance? Where's our allegiance? When human governments, human societies, human leaders bind us. 
try to cancel us. They say we're on the wrong side of history. They label truth as hate speech. They call the gospel intolerant. Friends, remember, those kingdoms and their judgments are temporary. Their power, it is limited. Their influence, it's already fading. And Christ's kingdom, it's eternal. It's eternal. So do you want to be on the right side of history? Guess what? Christ is the right side of history. Because one day the rest of history is going to end and Christ is going to continue. So do you want to be on the right side of history? Christ is the right side of history because His kingdom is eternal. So Paul says, Timothy, remember the gospel and suffer the persecution of earthly kingdoms because their time and their power is limited and temporary. But Christ, He's the offspring of David and His kingdom is eternal. Can you imagine how encouraging this would have been to Timothy and to a church that was under persecution? Church, how encouraging is this to you and to us today? No matter what the human kingdoms might say, His kingdom is forever. Paul's in the throes of death. And with his final breath, what does he cry out? Jesus is Lord. It's the very cry that Rome has been trying to silence. Paul is chained, but the gospel message that Jesus is Lord is unchained. And I picture Timothy turning to the early church and saying, You bled with Paul. Now bleed with me for the sake of the gospel. And leading the church to charge onto the battlefield saying, we will not bow to the temporary power of a false usurping king. I'm going to lead the way in laying down my life for the true and the eternal king. Because there are lives to be saved. There are captives to be freed. There's a mission to engage. There's a kingdom to advance. So come, bleed with me for the sake of the gospel. And Paul reminds Timothy, this is why you do it. This is why you do it. Verse 10, he says, Therefore I endure everything. I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You see, Paul, Paul says, Timothy, charge the battlefield with a gospel cry because there are more elect, those the Lord has called to salvation, and you must go to them with the gospel. Endure all suffering, risk all hardship, sacrifice unto death for the sake of those that God has elected unto salvation. And right here in this little statement, we find the mystery of God's election. God calls, elects some to be saved, and then in His sovereignty, He sends us to bring them the gospel so that they might hear and respond. Now, don't ask me to try to explain the why and the how and the who of election, because I can't. But church, that doesn't mean it's not true. Just as you don't have to understand all the workings of a jet engine or the physics of aerodynamics in order to get on an aeroplane and safely soar through the sky from Portland to New York, you don't need to understand the why, the how, and the who of election to believe that the Bible teaches it and that it's true. And we find here and throughout the Scripture that God sovereignly elects to, to salvation. And then He sovereignly sends us with the Gospel to effect that salvation. 
And Paul says the salvation of the elect is worth suffering for, Timothy. It's what I'm suffering for. It's what I'm dying for. So, Timothy, join me. Christ has bled for us and for them. So now, let's bleed for them too. And church, will we follow Christ's example? Will we heed the call to go? And Paul closes with this this trustworthy statement in verses 11 through 13. Now, now this statement, this, this, it looks like a poem in verses 11 through 13, was meant to summarize Paul's words and to galvanize Timothy to action. It was meant to summarize and to galvanize. And from the way Paul says this and uses this, it seems like it was probably something familiar to Timothy. It might have been an early song or poem or statement of the church, or it just might have been something that Paul said over and over and over again, and he knew Timothy had heard him. But either way, he says, this is a trustworthy saying. Look at this, 11 through 13. The saying is trustworthy, for if we've died with him, we'll live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we're faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So what we really have here are four couplets and a conclusion. The first couplet, if we die with him, we will also reign with him. It's really almost word for word what Paul wrote in Romans 6.8. Romans 6.8, he said, now if we've died with Christ, we believe that we'll also live with him. That's almost word for word what we find here. It's a clear restatement of everything Paul's been teaching. Paul said, hey, Timothy, remember the gospel, Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And if we are united with the risen Christ, then we too will rise. The promise of life that's in the gospel. It's a summary of all that Paul's been teaching. And it would have further galvanized Timothy and the church to suffer with Christ for the sake of the gospel. Because they had the confidence of life in the gospel. And the second couplet in verse 12 is a call to endure. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Now, this is the same word, if we endure. It's the same word that Paul used in verse 10. In verse 10, Paul said, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. It's a call to endure despite suffering, despite persecution. This is the main reason why Paul quotes this statement. He desires Timothy to remain faithful and to endure to the end. Friends, this entire letter, the whole thing from beginning to end, is a call to endure, to persevere, to remain faithful. Because Paul's already warned Timothy. We heard him warning Timothy. Many are going to turn. They're going to deny. And many have. But don't let that be you, Timothy. Endure to the end. Endure to the end. And there's a promise that those who endure, Paul says, we will reign with him. Friends, if the gospel is that Jesus is the offspring of David and his kingdom is never going to end, the kingdom will endure and those who endure will be in his kingdom and reign with him. And this is the promise. But there's, along with the promise, a warning. Again, verse 12, look again at the warning. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we deny him, he'll also deny us. It's it's an opposite. It's a clear opposite to what's just come before. It's a contrast. We're either going to endure or deny. 
really kind of a harsh warning, isn't it? But it only echoes Jesus' own words. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 33, Whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Paul had already warned. He said, some have already denied and walked away. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he said, You're aware that all who are in Asia, the whole continent, all in Asia, have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Some have not endured. Paul named names like Phygelus and Hermogenes. They were ashamed of the gospel. They denied and walked away. And Paul warns, just as Jesus warned us, those who deny Christ will be denied by Christ. So to Timothy, he says, endure. And church, this warning is dire. And it's frightful. And it's especially dire and frightful because we know how weak and irresolute we are. We know that in the midst of persecution and pressure, we all might stumble. We all might give in to shame. And we all might deny. So church, what's the hope? What's the hope for weak and irresolute people like you and like me? Church, our hope, as it always has been and always will be, is in the gospel. Because you need to understand, Paul here is not talking about a stumble, but about a selection. He's not talking about a deficiency, but a decision. A decision. Ultimately, Paul's not talking about a temporary action, but a persistent condition. This warning is for those who choose to persist in their denial. And how do I know that? Because the exact same word for denial that's used here is used in Matthew chapter 26, verse 72. And again, Peter denied with an oath. I do not know the man. Church, under intense persecution and extreme pressure, Peter denied Jesus. Peter denied Christ, but the gospel, the good news is that Christ did not deny then Peter, but restored him. Church, the gospel, the good news is that there is always grace for those who seek it. There's always grace for those who stumble. This warning is not for those in a temporary state who have stumbled, but those who persist in their denial. Those who persist in denial will themselves be denied. However, church, the gospel, the good news is that there's always grace for the faithless because Jesus is faithful. The gospel is that there's always grace for the faithless because Jesus is faithful. And that's what the fourth and the final couplet and its conclusion declare. Verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Church, our faithfulness to Christ may waver, but his faithfulness to us never will. This is the gospel, the good news that we sang this morning. We sang, when I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love, I know it. You know it. It's often cold. He must hold me fast. 
God knows that we could never keep our hold. However, the gospel is that those he's elected to salvation, he will hold fast. As the next verse says, those that he saves, the elect are his delight. Christ will hold me fast, precious in his holy sight. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises will last. Bought by him at such a cost. He will hold me fast. Church, that's the gospel. Those that He's elected to salvation, He'll not let their souls be lost. He will hold us fast. Though we stumble into unfaithfulness by grace, we will recover and persevere because He is faithful. He will hold me fast. So the warning in this poem and the warning in this entire book is for those who might persist in their denial. They will be denied. But the elect will endure. For though we struggle to remain faithful, He remains ever faithful to us. And Christ will hold us fast. Church, this is the gospel. And it's our only hope. This passage, this whole passage speaks to us today in the same way it spoke to Timothy and the church in his day. In the face of opposition, of persecution, of of threat, and of cancellation, this is a battle cry. This is a battle cry meant to make us bold. Chained up, Paul reminds us the Word of God's unchained. Oppressed by temporary authorities, powers, and lords, Paul reminds us Jesus is Lord eternally. This second letter to Timothy contains Paul's final breath. And with these dying breaths, he cries out, Remember the Gospel! Jesus is Lord, not the so-called gods of this age, not the gods of this culture, not the gods of the intelligentsia, not the gods of money or popularity, not the gods of sexuality or identity. Jesus is Lord. So against all the forces that would try to chain, cancel, or cause you to suffer, endure, persevere in the unstoppable gospel. Christ is the right side of history and only He shall remain, only He is eternal and He will hold fast those that are His. And so church, just as Paul encouraged Timothy in his day, so we are encouraged in our day, do not fall back. Jesus is Lord. Hear that cry ringing in our ears. Charge the battlefield. Fight like warrior poets. Persevere by His grace. Endure all that the elect might obtain salvation, that Christ might receive glory, and that the kingdom might advance. For the gospel is unstoppable. So church, will we, will you endure? Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to endure. Preserve us by your power. Strengthen us in your grace. Fill us with your unstoppable gospel. And may that gospel go forth. May lives be changed. May this world be transformed. And may you be glorified. Father, help us to endure. And please, by your grace and in your goodness and mercy to us, hold us fast. In Jesus' name, amen. In closing, please stand and uh, sing together. Alleluia, alleluia. You'll recognize it, I promise.